0: Hey there, and welcome to the Smart and Simple Matters show with your host, Joel Zeslovsky. I'm human. You're human. When's the last time you thought about what makes us human? Let's explore how to be human right now. This is episode number 129. Howdy-do, human. You, specifically. I am grateful to be back with you for an episode I was stoked to record and publish, especially since I'm still not doing this Smart and Simple Matters thing too frequently these days. Whether you've been subscribed to the show for years and are thinking, finally, Zeslowski, a new episode, or maybe you're just curiously venturing for the first time into the kinds of topics I like to explore, perhaps you are somewhere in between, I just want to say... Thank you for your time and attention right now. It is September 2018 as I record this, and since I last published an episode, there's been a lot going on in my life. I went to the World Domination Summit in Portland, Oregon for the sixth time, and my wife Melinda came with me, which was all kinds of sweet, sassy, molassy I took some time at our family's cabin in northern Minnesota and got to play with extended family in the lake, in uh, the board game realm, and in other ways. Great conversation, wonderful food. Ah, my family, top to bottom, just wonderful humans. I hosted my friend Brooke McCollery of the Slow Home Podcast for a live podcast slash slow. That's the name of her book. Uh, slow book tour event in my fair city, and that was neato. Even got to hang out with her husband Ben and their kiddos. My kiddos and them, oh, got along really well. Just just wonderful. Um, I've been doing a whole lot of bringing people together locally as well, particularly with a neighborhood association I help run with folks around my neck of the global woods. Coming up, a retreat in Vermont with my mastermind group, uh, Fair Number of chess tournaments for my son, Grant, and preparations for a big, literal, and temporary move to somewhere far away from Minnesota. I will loop you in on those grand plans when there's more to say and when there's more in pen than there is in pencil right now. At the moment, let's get into how to be human. You might be asking yourself, how to be human? Joel, I've been a human my entire life. I know how to be human. I thought so too. But there's more to know, which is why I invited my friend Rye Edwards onto the show because he knocked my socks off in July with a workshop at our Live Your Legend local group here in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis, St. Paul. The workshop was appropriately named How to Be Human. And as it's happening, my mind is just going back again and again at the meta level. And it's just saying to me, hey, me, you, Joel, we should totally do a variation of this workshop in conversational format and on Smart and civil Matters. So I did. And so Ryan and I did. And here we are. Now, as you listen to this, you may be tempted to jump ahead or press stop as the story or context slowly builds. It can be a little bit plotting, uh in parts, but those don't last long. And if you're tempted to press stop or jump ahead, really, give this one a shot, a fair shot. The introductory parts and the middle context are essential to get the most out of the takeaways toward the end. Normally, I can't say there's something here for everyone. I will say it now for you. There's something. It may be many things in this episode for you and for anyone else who listens. We will be discussing things like the nine core human needs that govern everything in life, some simple questions to help you understand why you do what you do, why love is helping others meet their core human needs, and what happens when you ask a stranger to borrow their smartphone. I won't dilly-dally anymore. Let's get into it. Here we go. My guest for this episode brings people together and a whole lot more in such neat ways. Rye Edwards unites neighborhoods, helps change hurtful cultural patterns, and loves to rock out with his melodic and inspiring music. I think his mind and heart are about as deep as the Mariana Trench, and he's excited to talk with me and you about the nine needs of every human and how awareness of those needs drives change in ourselves and our communities. Welcome, Rai. I am so jazzed to have you join me for a chat.
1: Well, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Cool. Let's start where people normally expect me to start, on a lovely chat like this one, with something I call the seeds of awesomeness. I want to help people understand how you came to be the person that you are today. So can you tell us one or two unique things about your youth or the environment that you grew up in?
1: Oh, wow. Unique things. Well, I grew up in a very loving family, family of four with an older sister and uh, both my parents were stayed married, still are married. And so it was a very loving, supportive home, which was cool because it, it gave me a secure place where I could start to take risks and start to see what I wanted to do in my life and without a feeling of fear of being ousted from my family. And uh, so as I grew up, I experienced at schools and whatnot, some bullying when I was young, and then later had the opportunity to be a bully myself. Not something I'd recommend for anybody. But through some uh, religious experiences, I decided that that was not going to be the way to go and started following Jesus. And he's really the one who changed my life and took me on a path that I think probably would have led me to prison or death um, and really opened up my heart to seeing people for who they are and uh and that got me excited about wanting to learn about what is it that really drives people and how are people so different and so um, when I look at the world I see it as um, the kingdom of God and that God is his creator who's made every single person unique and individual and you know there's so much good in the world and there's so much bad in the world and I really wanted to try to understand what's going on with all that um because I had been that bully, and because I decided I was going to do this about change and totally change my life, uh, suddenly I was not fitting in with any of the popular people I was with before, and so I ended up having to change schools. And that gave me an opportunity at the age of fifteen to reinvent myself around people I'd never been around, and it gave me a unique perspective for looking at other people's cultures and trying to decide who do I want to be and how do I want to fit in in these different areas. And. Uh, it was really eye-opening to just see that everybody, every, the person that everyone thought I was up to that point, suddenly I was in a new field with no expectations, and I was able to kind of control my destiny and, and see what do I want to experiment with and what, what activities do I want to get involved with, what people do I want to talk to, how do I want to learn, and um, had a, I just got into everything. And I took on leadership responsibilities and I kept saying, how can I make things better? How can I implant myself into this? What changes can I make? And are they positive? Are they negative? And uh, what was special about the
0: age of 15? What what uh, changed then?
1: uh, That's when I changed schools. So I'd grown up with all the same kids, elementary school and mostly same kids in middle school. And then, yeah, that uh, after that first year of high school, then I changed to a completely new school where I didn't know anybody and so when I came in, you know, it was kind of this, Oh, new kid. He's got, everyone was kind of looking at me to see what was I going to do. And I was looking at myself saying, what am I going to do? How am I going to be different than I was before? Cause I got to the end of a path that put me in some scary places and I didn't want to go there anymore. And so I started doing everything from drama club. Well, that was kind of the first change I had. Um, i had been in sports, football, hockey, and baseball, and I stopped doing all those things and went into the theater to see what that was like. And then now instead of uh, hanging out in locker rooms with a bunch of sweaty guys, I was hanging out with the girls. And I, that was a really fun change for me to get to see uh, different people and try new things. Uh, eventually I got back to hockey because I realized I really loved hockey, uh, but I also got involved in Kiwanis Key Club, which was a, a service organization. And I took on leadership roles in the choir, leadership roles in the theater department, uh, did capital campaigns, raising advertising, just seeing where, where could I can make changes and what could I do that would really impact others. And uh, yeah, I could probably talk about that forever, but...
0: I'm sure you could. We'll get into sure. some of those themes in just a little bit. Sure. One thing that I want to make sure that we hit on, just because it was so powerful when we spoke about it, a couple of months ago when you you let a work. The reason we're having this conversation on Smart and Simple Matters is because you led a workshop on how to be human at a Live Your Legend local event that we both participated in. And I yes. was just... Wow. I was, I was blown away by the stories you shared, by the approach that you took. And I thought, okay, let's not redo that, but let's do a variation sure. of that. And yeah. one thing that you mentioned, I know worshiping Jesus was a huge change for you. And you also described yourself as worshiping guitar players and learning to play guitar <laughs> in your teens. So let's stick in your teenage years for a moment. And sure. what's the story behind you deciding that you wanted to get into the guitar?
1: So when you really get to the heart of me, I love music. I grew up listening to 50s and 60s oldies, everything from Johnny Cash country to Motown um, to, I mean, Michael Jackson in the 80s and 90s alternative rock. I just really love music, had a wide appreciation of things, but that guitar, man. When I'd see guys on stage, if we were out at a family event and, um, you know, it might be Bob and the Beachcombers or or just, uh, you know, a couple guys in their 40s and 50s who were playing songs just for a handful of people. But man, when they were dancing on stage, playing that thing, it just looked so cool from a very early age. It just looked so cool. And I always thought, oh, I'll never be able to do that. That was always my belief. I believe there's no way.
0: And... Because it just seemed too hard, because there were too many years cool. of experience that you it needed. It you were You were not cool enough. I was not
1: guitar. cool enough. I was not... I would never be that great that I could play this thing that I just loved so much. I loved the sound of it. I love the look of it. I love the look of the people who are playing. It. And I thought that's the epitome of cool. That is the best thing there is. And I put it so high that I just thought, there's no way I can get there. There's no way I'd ever do that. That desire is just like this innate thing in me that I was always attracted to the guitar, but I was, I was afraid if I tried at it, well, I'll probably fail. And what would, you know, that just be too big of a disappointment. But my, my dad actually had a guitar from when he was a kid, and it just sat in this corner behind a TV which you couldn't really see, and it was all beat up and whatnot. But I, when I was in about sixth grade or 11 years old something, uh, I picked it up and started trying to play around it when no one was around um, just to see if I could make any sounds with it. And it only had three strings on it instead of six, and it was all rusty and terrible. So it didn't really do much. My mom caught me doing that. Uh, And she asked me one time, she said, would you like to get new strings on that? And I just lit up. And, you know, before I said anything, she said, come on, let's go. And so we went to the Schmidt music and they looked at the guitar and said, this is a piece of junk and it will never be in tune and it will never work. So I gave up on my dream again. And I said, no, I guess I can't do that. And then when I was 14, uh, I got confirmed. So I uh, had an affirmation of my baptism that said that I was going to uh, that I really believe that Jesus was my lord and savior and had changed my life and um, I wanted to serve him and at that party my uncle who played guitar and played in many bands uh, he showed up with the guitar and I thought oh cool he's gonna play but he didn't play he handed me the guitar and said I'm proud of you (laughs) I thought wow what am I gonna do with this thing (laughs) and then I opened it up and it and it was this really light, beautiful classical guitar. So very light wood, nylon strings, nothing like the rusty old box that had been the other guitar. It was just this beautiful instrument that I decided, well, I have it. I guess I I guess I should learn to play it. And I was scared, but I kept trying. And, and it was really hard because the thing wouldn't stay in tune uh, very much. Every time I sat down, I had to retune it, and I didn't know how to do that. So I had to develop that skill just in order to start to play it. And then I did, had no idea what I was doing. Um, so for six months, I just tried to learn Ode to Joy by Beethoven, um, just picking out the melody on two strings. And I got that down, and I just kept playing it over and over organ. My dad finally came into my room after like six months and said, aren't you going to learn some chords? I looked at him, and I said, what, what are chords? are <laughs> he talked about Dad?" he was like, well, you come on, let me get you a chord book, and we'll, we'll teach you how to do that. like, Oh, that'd be great. So, so he got me the card book and I started, um, and a songbook with some Beatles tunes and some beach boys tunes. And so I started with that and then, uh, yeah, just, I just got addicted and I practiced every day for at least an hour for the first two years that I played and, um, or first two years I practiced and it, it was really practice, get that guitar in tune and try to do the stuff Right. And after that two years, I developed enough skill that I, now I could come to the guitar and sit down and play it, and say, "I'm going to try some new things. I'm going to make up new chords. I'm going to just make sound out of this thing." And um, and then I started putting music or words to the music, and and became a, a songwriter. And now I've written over 600 songs. <laughs> Not that all of them are great, but it's just I love to do it, and that's a, a real strong passion of mine that I would think I'll always enjoy.
0: So, music is one of your three main components of your mission, and it's so eloquent and concise. What do you see as your your current mission in life?
1: Oh, my current mission <laughs> is um, I want to teach people how to be human through faith, love, and joy. That's my mission statement. That's what I do um, in this world. I I see a lot of technology. Uh, I'm I'm pretty antiquated actually I don't I don't have a cell phone and most people probably people listen to this will just be like I don't believe you <laughs> so it's true I can verify it. this I've tried to
0: get a hold of you at times and been like I can't get a hold of you the conventional way conventional yeah. for at least the year 2018
1: exactly and that's an intentional thing so that I have time with my kids and I have time to do the things that I'm committed to and I don't have those interruptions and that helps me stay focused on a lot of things so it's very intentional thing. It is frustrating at times for me, especially um, when when important things come up. I don't have a cell phone. I have to wait. I have to figure something else out or I have to get creative, which is asking somebody next to me for a phone because everyone else on the planet has a phone. And it's just if they want to open up and share their phone with me, because of course there's the, the threat that I could hack their phone and hack all of everything that they have. And so by limiting my exposure to you know all of the the risks involved with having a cell phone. I don't worry about a lot of that stuff, and so I'll say, "Oh, can I borrow your phone?" And people are, oh, what, what, what did you just ask me? It's like I had asked to take their child for a walk or something. And, <laughs> um, you know, so I, I've really enjoyed that part of the cultural experience too, of continuing to live in as though it's 1990, <laughs> while everyone else moves on years and years ahead.
0: I guess living in the past is not such a bad thing. When I think about some of the main themes of what we're going to talk about, how to be human, these are things that worked great in 1990, that still work great in 2018, and work great for pretty much all of human history as well. There's some things when it comes to human-to-human interaction or ability to show up for each other and give full attention and to carve out the time that we want for our family or our music or our faith or whatever it may happen to be really think that you have that dialed in no phone pun intended there Um, let's get into people don't even know what dialing is you don't dial anymore
1: (laughs) you you punch in the numbers on the phone
0: it's true but don't you just still dial someone maybe that maybe i'm showing my age being almost 40 that is what it's called but it's kind of
1: it's it's the same thing as the shopping cart when you're online buying something Uh, it's it's well basically i'm just going to take your money but here it's a shopping cart here that's familiar that'll You can see that and you know what that means. And the same thing, dial is something that was supposed to use uh, to help people who used to use a rotary phone and would actually turn the wheel on that thing. And it's just continued going on.
0: I still remember the sound uh, as you pushed the rotary phone around and then it as it rotated back and then you would do another number. I always enjoyed both the tactile feel and the sound of it going counterclockwise after you had turned it clockwise. I kind of miss that. Not enough to do anything about it to actually have a rotary phone. I'll just go over to my parents' house whenever I want to use one of those. But there are some things that you think, yeah. That was really nice to have to pause, to have to remember a phone number, and then to, it took 15 seconds to make a phone call, especially (laughs) if it was long distance, and to have to really want it, if you will, and not just take your phone, and then instantly you're connecting with somebody, to have to think, is this worth my time, to go to the phone, since it's not in my pocket, and actually dial this number. I like that pause, that built-in pause, that a lot we don't have anymore, but we won't talk about tech too much i'm sure we could we could talk about so many different things i would like to we'll see where this branch is off about how to be human so let's give give us the the lay of the land kind of like you did in july when you ran this workshop at our live your legend local minneapolis st paul gatherings just start us off. What are when we think about how to be human and what it actually means to be human? Maybe it's good to differentiate humans from other forms of life that we know about. What are mm-hmm. some unique things that we humans do?
1: Well, actually, you just mentioned some of them when you were talking about the phone. So you talk about um, or how do we differentiate ourselves from from other things on or other animals or things on the planet, one of the other things I like to distinguish ourselves from is actually machines. And, you know, just that you have a tactile memory of, of using a rotary phone. That's such a, a human thing that you would, you would remember that you would have an awareness of, of that you can think back in time to this phone that no longer exists, you haven't used in many, many, many years. And you still have this awareness, you've carried this back from the past. And uh, and you enjoy that experience, and it actually shapes how you think about the world and the way that you go through the world. So, I always like to ask people, you know, what is it that makes us human? If you had to describe a human being to some alien species that never knew what a human was, how would you describe it? And you know, you can say, well, it's got two arms and two legs and walks upright and has hair on its head, and you can go through and look at. All kinds of people who are in wheelchairs or have been amputated or have birth you know from birth have not had particular limbs or features or whatnot. people look very different. Some people don't even have hair on top of their heads. Um, you know there's all kinds of different <laughs> there's all kinds of different ways that we look and think and feel, but uh, inside of us there is this awareness and that awareness. Uh, for humans, we have this advantage that that we know we're human. And when we want to look and say, what does it mean to be human? We can use our language and all of the documents that we have and go back thousands and thousands of years to discuss all of human history, what people have done. And that gives us a unique awareness that says, oh, wow, I'm part of this. I'm part of this line of, of people and events And this is all the things that humans have done. And look at me, I'm human and I'm going to adapt into that. And I'm going to say, okay, now who am I based on that? So as we grow our awareness, we become more human. It's kind of interesting. Um, You can look at, there have been people with human DNA that have been raised by other creatures, dogs, pigs, wolves, goats. When they grow up, they actually start to take on the characteristics of the dogs and the goats and the pigs and the people. They mimic that. So when we're around people, we're actually mimicking all the things that we've learned. We, we draw this close connection at the beginning to our parents or whoever our, our caretaker is that provides us a lot of our basic needs. And we, we learn trust there. And then we start to mimic and, and draw close connections to those, uh, to those caretakers. And that's what teaches us how to be human.
0: Well, you already mentioned a couple things, too, going back thousands of years. You can't go back thousands of years unless you have the concept of time, which is a very human thing to measure and obsess over time, whether it's the past or whether it's the future. There is no other life that we know of that has the awareness of time and its passage and how much is gone or how much is left. uh, And how we preserve knowledge over time, with written language, which is unique to humans. You mentioned a whole bunch of other things like cooking and fire, wearing clothing. There, there's a whole bunch of things that make us human. Are there other items that really stand out for you that you want to mention?
1: Technology is a huge one Um, that we use tools and we develop tools and we continue to build and iterate on those things. There are very few other species that, that do that. Uh, another one is worship. So that's been very interesting to me that I can look back at ancient cultures and all over the world, whether it's the Mayans or the Aboriginals or the Druids, the Celts, the Norwegians, whoever it is, are evidence of, of worship of some, of some religion, some idea of a God or gods or some, some greater force, some higher power, um, that people are aware of, and yet, you know, I've I've never seen a dog bow down and worship, or or take time to to go out and pray, or whatever. Or, or you know, we just don't see an awareness of of that with other animals necessarily, um, as that idea of worship. Yeah. You know,
0: can we from... can we take it one step back? I realize that I might have jumped ahead. Why is it even important for us to think about how to be human and what is uniquely human? What what at the highest level changes for us when it comes to our awareness or how we show up in the world when we think about, am I operating as a human could or perhaps the best version of me would? Yeah. So
1: one of the the best reasons to look at understanding why you're human is so that you can determine the distinction between two very powerful things. So as we just talked about, we have all of human history to look at and learn about what humans do, what other humans have done and all of those different aspects um, that we can see, whether it's clothing style, whether it's jewelry, whether it's um, political movements across the globe, whatever people have done, we can look at it and learn about it. And we call those different behaviors and attributes culture. And we live in, a situation where we have different expectations and rules to follow and lots of laws in our country and expectations of what our behavior should be as human beings. But it's not really just our human needs. That's our cultural needs and cultures can change and cultures can change quite drastically. So, um, you know, if people were investing in the 1970s, they might be investing in Xerox and copier machines. Um, right now people probably aren't investing in copier machines as much as they might be in other tech companies because the culture has changed and we don't care so much about that. So as, as time and culture change, we learn things and we adapt, but I guess the cool thing about learning about being human is that you can distill out what is it that is really your heart as you're a human, as you're a, um, a unique individual, what is it that's important to you? What do you really have to look out for? And what is this? Is it just the culture that is saying, oh, you should do this. You should do this, even though that might not make you become the best person that you want to be.
0: Right. And so uh, you know, constantly right? assessing whether what you're doing or the impulses that you have are coming from cultural needs versus your core human needs. That's, exactly. that's one part of it. Let's, let's break it down. Maybe we'll get back to maybe this contrast. Some of them are, are supplemental where they're not necessarily in competition with each other. There are a lot of cultural needs that we have, which explain our core human needs and vice versa. Okay, let's take it from the top. So we've got nine core human needs, at least as far as you see them. Mm-hmm. Start to break it down for us.
1: Okay. So it's, it's fun. I've got, uh, I break down the nine needs into some basic categories. So the first category... Basically, what are the things that we need so much that we we cannot go without them for a very short period of time? And the very first thing is something we can't go with for more than basically four minutes unless we're well trained or we're we're basically four minutes away from death unless we have breath. Not something we think about all that often because well, we have an abundance of air, so we don't have to really focus on on uh the danger of if we didn't have air. So that's one of these needs that we take for granted. The, the next need. Uh, well, but gonna,
0: can, can I say something about breath here. real quick? Mm-hmm. So you're right. We take it for granted because it's the one need that we have that's been completely automated where awesome. yes, you can have intentional breath and a lot of us do through meditation or mindfulness or mm-hmm. other things. And it's wonderful to focus on your breath, but the vast majority of your day, even if you are, some Buddhist monk who is meditating all the time, you're not necessarily thinking about your breath. Our body has it built into it, even especially when we're sleeping, where you're just breathing. And you have yep. to, otherwise you die. And that's how important it is that it's so automated that we just do it. And, we, and we're not conscious about it unless we want to be conscious about it.
1: Exactly. Okay, and so there's I'm number gonna, one. Yeah, and I'm going to come back to that because it's related to it's number two or one of the elements of it. Uh, Is there so the next thing that we need as human beings is sleep. Sleep is so important to regulating how we do so much, Uh, it regulates our memory, our metabolism. It is when we do all of our healing, all of our growing, especially as children. Without sleep, we people definitely lose their minds very quickly. So, these first two needs are really interesting because they both talk, or they both focus very much on rhythms. And that is one of the, the key things about being a human is that we need to follow the rhythms. Our human bodies need to follow these rhythms. Um, and again, one of the reasons I bring this up is because so often in our lives, uh, there's a lot of pressure to perform or to do a lot of uh, following expectations, whatever that is, whether that's work, whether that's family, whether that's self-imposed and we want to accomplish more. But when we get back to the very basic things that we need, we need to remember how important it is to breathe. If you're a singer, you definitely need to breathe because you need to breathe because otherwise you can't make sound. Um, if you're an athlete, you need to breathe because otherwise your muscles aren't getting the oxygen to do the work that you need to do. And this this need is so important. But like you say, it's automated. We just we don't think about it because it's always happening. But when we do think about it, then we can harness the power of breath to help to calm our minds, calm our bodies. Um, one of the most interesting things, experiments that I did, um, I do a lot of experiments, um, but I was really curious about smoking. I was really curious, why do people smoke so much when they know that it causes cancer and they know that it can kill them? And clearly they're getting some sort of pleasure out of smoking that is greater than the risk of the pain that they might endure Um, And I started, uh, I've I've hung out with a lot of different smokers and whatnot. And one time I did this experiment where I decided I was going to go to a movie. And the whole time I I breathed through a straw, one of those long straws you get with like an icy And I breathed through that straw, very focused, concentrating on my breath until I developed a rhythm and then it became automatic. So I had to focus. I had to focus very hard to get enough air in through that straw. But then eventually, once I developed a rhythm, I was able to do it through the rest of this movie. It was one of those really long three-hour movies. And when I came out of that movie theater, I was more chill than any other time in my life. Just completely relaxed. Felt like I was walking on air. Felt like the world was mine. And I didn't. I wasn't driven with ambition. I was just at peace. And anything that could happen would be okay. And I could deal with it. <laughs> There was, no, there was no marijuana in the straw. There was no tobacco in the straw. It was just focusing on the breath and the power of, of that focused breath saying, I want to get enough air. I want to make sure that I'm really filling myself with something that my body needs and being intentional about it. And so since ever since I did that experiment uh, well, about 20 years ago, I I have just really try to harness the power of breath, especially in stressful situations. If there's something that's going on with my family at work, taking a break to deal with that and just breathe can really help a lot. And I know I worked with a lot of engineers who smoked and they would always, you know, they get frustrated with their work. They go out, they take a smoke break. And I would always in my head say, they're going to go focus on their breath. That's what they're going to do. And that's going to get them back. Yeah. You take a
0: breath and it's very pleasurable to take that breath in. And to know that the next breath you take too, when you're taking a puff, you're really going to enjoy that breath as well. Yep.
1: Okay. We- so we
0: have breath and sleep and what I kind of throw in there, circadian rhythms, which goes a little, sleep as exactly. a part of our circadian rhythms. What's next?
1: Okay. So then we get into uh, the next category, which is the means that we have to seek outside of our bodies um, that we have to actually put some effort into going after. And it's the the three that most people think of as human needs, it's water, food, and shelter. And again, that goes in the order in which we need to have it. We need water before we need food, and then we can go longer without shelter than we can go with either food or water. So those are the three things that come together. And these are the things that um, humans have looked at as the problems we need to solve for thousands of years. I was always curious about water. Um, I'm a city kid. So I do dumb things like drinking out of rivers or things like that. And I've gotten very, very sick from doing things like that. And that was when I was much younger, but um, I learned, I got sick from drinking water and I thought, how is that possible? Deer drink out of streams and they don't have any problems. And, you know, all these other animals are drinking this water. They're not using brittle water pitchers out there in the fields. How is this possible? How can they do that? And so I started researching water and trying to figure out what people do. And I went back and said, And found out that um, the, the earliest recordings of filtering water is the Egyptians. And they used to build these massive just filters, squares that they filled with sand and rock and gravel and these different sediments. And they would go and climb up to the top of this thing and then pour the water in and let it sift through all of those different sediments until it came out the bottom. And that's how they purified their water you know we've done so much with water especially in america the idea that someone said hey we're going to make indoor plumbing like what an incredible feat to say we're going to develop an infrastructure that connects every single human dwelling to a system that will then take that water and purify it and and bring it back in i mean it's it's mind boggling to Pretty think that somebody agree. figured that out and now through much of the rest of the world, people are like, well, we should be able to do this. Come on. We should go in and do this. It should be easy. So water is a problem that we've in America solved in Africa, in South America, in East Asia, there are still people who walk for hours a day to find polluted water. that don't know how to filter it. And they come back and they get sick. And then they take whatever money they have and they go to the doctor to try to get better. And then they go back and drink the same water. that's going to make them sick again. And, uh, it's amazing to see how we've been able to to accomplish solving that problem.
0: Do we do we miss a human need that is the consequence of drinking water, having to pee, like biological waste, peeing and pooping? Where does that fall in the categories of human needs?
1: It is a human need. There's real that's another one of those automated needs that there is waste that needs to be expelled from your body that goes into the rhythm kind of section. We could probably add another human need of waste. It's not typically one of the needs that I, that I focus on.
0: Well, the next one I think is something that we do focus on perhaps to our detriment. A lot of time work and rest. There's a dichotomy there. We work, we rest, we work, we rest. A lot of us, myself included, sometimes still, do a lot more working than we do resting. Uh, and those are both human needs that we have. What what do you think of when you think of this work-rest dichotomy?
1: Oh, wow. No, I think you actually missed missed one that we need to talk I missed about one. first. What's that? Well, I was going to go to shelter next, but uh, after that, then we have the next section, which is the three things.
0: Oh, yeah. So of- we did water, food, and shelter. And I know yeah. we didn't really touch on food and shelter in depth. We could, or we can take another couple yeah. of hours to get through all of this. <laughs> totally up to you.
1: No, I think, I think uh, again, with food, we've developed systems in America so that we can get our food very easily. We've solved that problem. So we don't have to focus on it. Uh, if we have um, what we get in the next thing. So when we talk about shelter, that is a huge uh, need for many people. You wouldn't necessarily think so if you're looking at just shelter, but with the cultural implications of how you get shelter in this country, a lot of people have mortgages And that contributes to, do I feel safe having a mortgaged home? If I can't make the payments, what happens? Well, I might lose that home. That can add to some of those feelings of not being safe. If you're, if you don't have enough money to pay for structure, or if you don't have, you know, you can't build your own house in this culture and the economy, whereas in the rest of the world, not the rest of the world, but there are other places in the world where there aren't restrictions on saying you have to build up to code. You can just create a shelter. And easily solve that problem. That's one of the things in America that it's much harder to solve the problem of where will I sleep and what will I do um, to comply with the legal obligations and whatnot. But we can, uh, we can definitely move on to the next three, which is play, work, and rest. So, yeah, you talk about the work-rest dichotomy, and it's like, what am I doing? Am I working or am I resting? Am I working or am I resting? That's a very common thing because we hear about that we, in uh, corporate America. We talk about work-life balance. What does it look like to have good work-life balance? But um, from my perspective, we need to have the play-work-life balance and figure out what that is. Now, some people are able to, to combine work and play. They're, the work they do is work that they love to do, and they feel like they're engaged and inspired and having a great time while they're doing it. However, I've talked to many thousands of people who don't feel that way, who feel like work is a, a drudgery and feel that, that is, it's not a fun place to be. Um, and so f- that's why I really want to help people focus um, on the play, work, and rest aspect, because um, ultimately what we are really looking for as human beings from the earliest age Once we have those other needs met, once we have our breath, we have our sleep, we have our food and our water and our shelter. Well, what's next? I've solved all those problems. Now, what do I do? And for babies, the first thing they do is they learn to play. So when a baby is first born, at least in my experience, I have three children. um, They don't smile. They just observe and kind of take things in. Uh, But I remember with my first son, It was uh, week six, when he was six weeks old, I saw his first smile, and I fell in love with him just more than anything there. At that point, I knew, okay, now I get why being a parent is so cool to see him smile. And then it wasn't until he was three months old before he started to laugh. Laughter was some of the first things that, um, that they learned, and the way that we taught them laughter was through play. It was through tickling. It was through making silly faces and doing all these different things. And that's the basis. When you're a human being, the first thing you learn is not how to change your own diaper or, uh, or feed yourself or whatnot. You learn how to play. All those other needs are taken care of by your parents. And then you just start learning how to play. And, and that's this core element of who we are as people that as we become adults, a lot of times we think, Oh no, we don't need to play. We need to work. We need to provide so that we can, provide all those other needs that we've already talked about. But for those people who are able to create enough income and be able to take care of those basic needs, the next thing is really how do we play and how do we focus on that? Because that's really why we typically, well, for the people who don't enjoy their jobs, that's why they do the work is so they have some time to provide for those needs, and then hopefully play and see their families and be able to enjoy them. Um, so I would really prefer if we could switch our focus from the, the work rest model to the work play model of saying, what, what is work that has to be done? Whether that's, you know, you might love your job, but you don't like trimming the grass at home or fixing something that's broken or whatnot. Maybe you have enough money to take care of that problem, and then you don't have to worry about it. But For some of those things that you have to do, if if you have to work on a relationship, you have to have tough conversations like that can be the work that you're looking at. And work, work is also a human need because work is simply a function. Whatever you're trying to accomplish is your work. And it's really the conditions around the work that determine whether it's good or bad. Is the work, the function you're doing, is it helping accomplish your purpose or are you just doing it because it's busy work and someone told you to do it? Uh, when you do that work, do you get positive reinforcement? Do people smile at you? Do people give you a high five? Do you get a larger paycheck? You know, is there a positive reinforcement? Or does it is it just status quo, that you did what was expected, no good job, just that was what we expected, or is it the opposite of look, like, man, you're really not you're really not pulling it up, you're not doing enough. And so a lot of those human feelings um, is what determines whether work is good or bad. And how is that work related to me personally? And what I'm trying to accomplish in my life um, versus what someone else is trying to get me to do. So that's kind of where some of that comes in.
0: Well, I'll tell you, my work is not complete unless I get the last human need met, which is uh, relationships and social interaction. I have woven that so tightly into the thread and the fabric of the work that I do and how Mm -hmm. I show up in the world that. If I were making the list of needs, (laughs) social interaction might be up a little bit higher. Realistically, that's not true uh, in terms of, and, and that goes for all humans, regardless of how human oriented or extroverted that you are. But I just enjoy, I get very playful when there are other humans involved. And sure, if I'm outside in nature, I can hop from log to log and play and create my own games and enjoy. But normally it's among other humans where I feel like I'm getting a lot of my needs met. Just just the simple act of interacting with another curious, insightful, funky human. Absolutely.
1: So because what I talk about mostly is talking to adults about trying to remind them what it means to be human, I have relationships as the last need. But you're exactly right, Joel, that number one, how long can a baby survive? How long can a human baby survive without someone to love them? Or take care of them, or feed them, or do anything. <laughs> A couple days, you need you need to have people to take care of you. And um, in America, we have this ideal that we talk about independence, and that we really hold at high esteem for independence. When really, the only the only person who's independent is somebody who uh, takes care of all their own needs, which includes. Um, You know, breath, sleep, water, food, shelter. Um, We could put clothing in there as far as shelter and safety um, and then work, play and, and rest. But how many people do you know that grow all their own food? They go out and they filter all their own water and bring it in. They make their own clothes. They built their own shelter. How many people in America do you know that are able to accomplish those things? zero okay okay sure so that could have
0: been a rhetorical question but i literally know zero people out of the thousands of people i've met who could check all those boxes by themselves exactly
1: and so what about in other countries what about people who are living in tanzania or other places out in remote areas Um, how many of those people are independent where they need to get their own food, water, shelter, and whatnot. I don't know the number, but you can see why the the people who are out there are having to try to solve these problems and they're still drinking dirty water and they still don't have enough food and they still don't Mm -hmm. have adequate shelter or clothes. Not everybody. I mean, there's plenty of places um, that are rich and vibrant. But wherever you see that, it's usually not one person living by themselves all alone in the bush. It's people who have either lived, they, they live together in tribes or they're in an affluent society like America where all we have to do to meet our needs is give people this little piece of paper called money or give them a plastic card that gives them something and says, oh, I can get that based off of using this money or whatnot. So we, we look at currency and say, well, this is my independence. I can do all this stuff myself, but if you, uh, you know, that's a system that relies on all the systems we put in place, all the plumbing that you have, the electricity and the, um, the food the, roads, the infrastructure
0: of transporting people and exactly other, other things for our needs, water and food along. Yeah.
1: And that you have the farmers who grow things, and then you have the mm-hmm. people who transport the stuff from the farms out to, mills, what not, uh, that go to stores, that distribute or distributors to stores to whatever, you know, the whole supply chain. It's, it's not independence. Nobody gets rich completely independently. They have to have some customer that, that's feeding you something. You have to have some interaction with somebody else to get any of your basic needs met whether you're doing it because you give them money and they say, Oh, you gave me money. So I agree that I will provide this service. I will provide these goods so that you can have, it." we are interdependent. We are not independent. We are interdependent and relationships are everything that we're about. If I go back to what I just talked about at the very beginning, children who are raised by other creatures than humans don't become human. They, they mimic what they see and they act how they are taught by whatever it is. So, Ultimately, you're right, Joel, that relationships are the most important thing for human beings, that well, without other humans, we can't be human.
0: Yeah. I think, so culture, getting back to that, and the distinction mm-hmm. of cultural needs versus human needs, if you don't grow up in a human culture, then generally don't know how to be human, mm-hmm. um, yet how cultural needs have been twisted over the years and centuries, uh, twisted sometimes in some amazing, fantastical ways where we couldn't possibly imagine the kind of society that we live in. And how cool is it that we have the kind of infrastructure in place that there's this thing called the internet, and that it allows me to talk to you remotely and record our voices in real time and allow other people on demand to be able to listen to our conversation sometime in the future. I mean, that's just super rad. But as we As I think about these nine human needs we've talked about and cultural needs that I remember in the workshop, you're talking about um, things that we believe to almost to the core of our being that we need money, fashion, the ability to travel and have freedom, whether it's in a car or whether it's an airplane. Those are just categorically not human needs. They're often in service of our human needs. So do you have anything to say, bringing this back to how culture feeds human needs and how our human needs develop our culture? What other distinctions come to your mind when it comes to the interplay between those two different kinds of needs?
1: So the culture is, it's the methodology that human beings are using to try to solve the problems of the human needs. They're trying to address these nine human needs. That's what's so interesting about studying what does it mean to be human? Because it's so easy to watch TV and get all of these ads about this is what it means to be whatever. I mean, if I if I really want to talk about an interesting subject, we could talk about sex. So, in if we talk about sex in this culture, what does sex mean? I mean, people talk about sex sells. It's something that's used in advertising all the time to say, "Oh, if you buy this product, you're going to be sexy, you're going to be attractive. People are going to want to be around you." And there's this huge I mean, there's there's a whole market around this idea of sex and why we do. And there's not a lot of good information necessarily that talks about how that plays into relationships. Some people believe that sex is love. Some people believe that they can use sex as commerce. Uh, some people believe that uh, it makes them a better person if they're active at having sex. It means that they're more mature or that um, they're more of an adult if they're having sex. And really, it's sex is a very basic Function that a lot of other species have, but cultural context is so huge in that arena that you almost you never think about sex as just the, the basics of, of what sex is and how we're different as human beings. Um instead, we focus on all of these cultural impacts because sex is so apparent and it's such a strong value of um, lots of different cultures determining. Is, you know, is that really a need that people have?
0: What kind of a need is it? Is it, a, is it a human need at various stages of your life? Is it a cultural need where you feel like you're defective in some way if you don't have it? It kind of reminds me of something that you said uh, when you were running the How to Be Human workshop. I think I'm getting you right. You're, you're talking about how we're bigger than our culture. We are. And that we're the sum of our human, our personal needs which kind of lends itself to a question that you posed and I'll pose back to you because I think reflecting on it, you have your own answers and I'm interested in hearing when you asked us, I don't know that you got the chance to, to answer. One thing that you asked was what is the culture I want to live out to meet my human needs? What is the culture I want to live out to meet my human needs? What do you say to that?
1: What is the culture that I want to live out to meet my human needs? It's... Uh, it's to live with integrity. Uh, it's a word that we hear a lot. to To have integrity means that you integrate what you believe, or you integrate all the parts of you into one being, and and that's my goal. I want to make sure that when I'm acting, I'm doing it out of the person that I am. That I'm acting consistently in my relationships with other people, and and so that the culture I create is is really truly who i want to be so that means i have to understand how do i play and and why you know what are the things that i really enjoy and that's when it comes back to to music like that's my thing that's my oh i love to do this and i love to i love all the ways that it impacts people in the culture but that's that's really a huge focus of this is me playing and then understanding my work um you know how do I work well? I like to educate people, and I'm I really enjoy teaching, and so I I learn what are the things that I like to teach, and that goes back to, um, I mean a lot of just my awareness of of who I am and the things that I've learned, uh, all of the experiences that I've gone through, whether it's been in a corporate culture or a tech startup company, as a business analyst or as a musician or as a parent or as a pastor, whatever it is. Um, I know that I really enjoy the work of teaching other people. Um, So I, and then uh, finding rest is another piece of that to, to really know when is it too much? When am I stressing myself out and what do I do to make sure that I can recharge my batteries and, and go after um, the types of things that, that help me recharge so that I can really balance the work and the play that I'm, I'm going after.
0: One other thing I know that you love is love. Why do you love love so much?
1: <laughs> so I love love because, okay, so this is another thing. I know I just talked about sex and now I'm talking about love um, where there are vast opinions on
0: sex, love, and rock and roll. Absolutely. We can skip the drugs part, just <laughs> sex, love, and rock and roll. Those exactly. Good times. Uh-huh. But
1: love, while people may have a lot of different ways that they talk about love or express love or think about love. When you see love, when you see love being acted out, it looks a lot like meeting these nine needs for other people outside of yourself. Um, So if you're helping people with their relationships, if you are, if you're helping provide food to people, if you're providing water to people, if you are helping people with their work, if you're helping people with their or playing with people, all of, all of those things. If you're helping someone else take a rest, if you take over work so that they can get the rest they need, those are the things that exemplify love. You know, there's a there's a few songs I've heard. Um, John Mayer has a song called "Love Is a Verb," and I've heard that um, that term before many times. And I still want to get to that next layer of like, okay, so how what does that really mean? How do we actually do it? And one of the things that's figuring out what are the needs that other people have and how can I help fulfill those needs? Because that really is truly what love is. Um, you know, that's and why it's
0: helping others meet their core human needs. Mm-hmm. It, that's exactly yeah, it. so cool. When you think about it that way, Yeah,
1: it really is.
0: What are some of the other questions that swirl around you about how to be human?
1: The other layer of breath that I talk about when I get a little deeper, is that a, a word that, Another word for breath is inspire. One of my favorite um, descriptions of when God first breathed into Adam, if you look at the Hebrew tradition, um, says that the man was inspired to life. And uh, to be able to continue to find things that inspire you, the things that get you excited about living, um, that's, that's another essential thing to say, why do I get up in the morning? What am I going after? So that's where you start. But it is, uh, it's a very long process. But if you want, you're interested in these cultural types of discussions whatnot, uh, I have a website called tradeschoolculture.com. It talks about the, the benefits of, of good work, where you're doing work that uh, is fulfilling to you, but also talks about the culture and, and how that can mess things up a little bit in your mind. If you're feeling like there's a lot too much cultural pressure, we can help get back to basics. So
0: We may have a round two conversation to continue these themes and also talk about trade school because you and I are working behind the scenes on a trade school related project, which is really exciting that I'm yeah. thrilled to be a part of with a few other folks. We'll save that for some other time. Sounds good. That, we'll consider that a teaser for people who are listening. Like what is all this trade school stuff that they're talking about? There'll, there'll be more to come. Well, where else besides trade culture.com, where else can people interact with you online or offline?
1: Uh, I am on Facebook. Um, as Rye Edwards, I have a personal profile and I have a musician profile out there. Um, so Rye,
0: I, that's R-Y Edwards.
1: E-D-W-A-R-D-S. Yep. That's me. So typically I try to post things out there about either my music or about cultural things. Uh, I, try, I try to promote other people who are doing great things, um, positive messages of love and that type of thing. So
0: I'd love all right, that. if we want to rock or if we need some more love, we'll come <laughs> your way. I know Fantastic. I will. Right, Thank thanks you. a ton for having this conversation with me and helping me think about how I can be a better human and how I can help other people just learn what it means to be human and take that in whatever way that they want. You're so welcome. It's been fun. Thank you. All right. How is that for you, fellow human? When you breathe, lay down asleep, sleep? Maybe drink some water, have a bite to eat, work, play, rest, or even just talk to another human. Maybe you'll be like me occasionally and think, goodness, it is seriously groovy being a human. If you, like me, really dig Rise philosophy and want to learn more, check out that tradeschoolculture.com website he mentioned. I link to that and a whole bunch of other stuff we spoke about. You'll get topic timestamps, takeaways, and more niftiness in the show notes at joelzeslowski.com slash S A S M one two nine. J O E L Z A S L O F S K Y dot com slash S A S M one two nine. You'll also see information in the show notes about how to support me. This show and our community at com slash support. What's left? I suppose nothing much except you going to check out the show notes, having a chat with someone about this episode or the show in general. You could, of course, just give yourself a hug for me until I have a chance to do it myself in person, assuming that is your idea of a good time. Whatever you do thank you for your time and attention once again. You've just listened to the Smart and Simple Matters podcast with me, Joel Zaslowski. Now go simplify something. Hug someone or get your sexy spreadsheet on.